If you would again uh, take out your Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we will be reading verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to the land to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word for the promises that we see, for the encouragement that comes to Abram, who is Abraham, the father of nations, through which blessings of faith come. We pray, O God, that as we study this passage, that you would be with this, your servant, help it to be explained and applied. May we see Christ today and give him glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christian is justified by grace through faith. Faith is the alone instrument of our salvation, and the object of that faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer between God and men. We are called to trust and rest in Him, in His finished work at Calvary in the hope that we have in His being raised from the dead, in our one day being raised from the dead. The Christian life is a life of faith, not seeing all the promises being fully realized, yet being assured that they will come to pass. You see, faith is not done with the eyes. It is hearing and it is reading the Word of God and taking God at His Word. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
By faith we know that Christ will come again. That He will usher in the fullness of His kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. But for now, Christ is gathering His elect from among the nations. By faith we know that many representatives from all of the nations will come into this kingdom, this spiritual kingdom. And so we live by faith. We live by faith just as our father in the faith lived, Abraham. Abraham, you see, was called out of pagan idolatry. He was told to go to a new land which he had not seen. He was told that his seed would inherit this land and that a great nation would come from him. In fact, that seed would rule the world. And so we turn our attention again to Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see how the promises of God to Abram point forward to Christ, that seed who was promised. These are all part of that golden thread which winds its way through the Scriptures and have eschatological implications. That is to say, the end of all things. But the end is not all that's in view, for there are implications for us, here and now, for we too must live by faith. The faith of Abraham the God of Abraham, looking forward to that city whose designer and builder is God. The new Jerusalem, which will come down in the eternal worship of God. Now last time as we left off in verse 1, this is actually where we're picking up again. And we pick up with with the command of God to go, and then that command to go is followed by five I will statements in verses 1 through 3. So first, the command is to go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so the call of Abram was to go, but God was going to show him where he was going. He was going to show him the land. And so this this, this last phrase is the first of the I will statements. I will show you the land. Now, as we spoke about last time, the initial call of Abram had actually come earlier, when he was still an Ur of the Chaldeans, prior to the family's immigration to Haran. And we find uh, the, the evidence of this in Genesis chapter 15, in verse 7, which reports that God brought Abram out of Ur. And then Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, tells us that God appeared to Abram in Ur. And so we are here having a reminder of that call, either as a second appearing of the Lord to Abram, or simply a reminder of the call which had come before Either way, we are, we're seeing that God is calling Abram. You see, since the days of Noah, the worship of the Lord had fallen away. Now, of course, it hadn't been completely forgotten, but many of the people uh, had fallen into idolatry and paganism and polytheism. And this was the case for Abram's family. The people did not know the, the, the Lord, but they had taken up with other gods. This is at least implied in the Tower of Babel, isn't it? This is sadly the devolution of mankind. Left to ourselves, natural man will suppress the truth of unrighteousness, will exchange the truth of God for a lie, professing to be wise in their own eyes. 
And so mankind exchanges the glory of God for images of man and birds and creeping things. This is what sinful man does by nature. And when the Lord appeared to Abram, He was calling Abram to make a radical departure from what he had known. Abram was to move away from all the comforts of his home, from his family, and he was to be led by the Lord. Now at this point in our study, his father has died. And so he was to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house. Now you'll notice also in the command that there's an accumulation of descriptions. There's an accumulation of descriptions which together provide us with the extreme nature of the call which Abram has received. Abram was to leave everything familiar to him. He was to leave the place which he called home. He was to leave all the comforts which that may afford him. So Abram was first to leave his country, which is to say he was to disassociate himself from the place which he called home. Initially, of course, it was Ur. Later, that was Haran. He was to leave his country. He was also to leave his family, that is, especially his father's house, his close kindred and his distant kindred, his family. He was to leave the the relative protection of his father's household. Of course, now his father was dead. And he was to go forth with eyes closed, as it were. He was to go into an unknown land, being led by the hand of God to the land land which the Lord would show him. In short, Abram was to walk by faith, trusting in God. Now Abram, in leaving his family, does not completely disassociate himself with them, nor reject his kindred. This is not the nature of the call. He was to go out from them to a new place, but it was not necessarily the case that he was to reject them. In fact, later he does turn to his his kinsmen for Isaac's wife. Nevertheless, Abram was to make a break from his nation, his people, his close family connections. He was to go to a place that he had never seen, trusting only in what God has spoken to him. In this way, the comforts of country and family were to give way to a higher allegiance. Now this is true for us, too, isn't it? To some degree... It's not that we're going to go to new lands. Rather, there's a principle here of living by faith and in complete devotion to God. This faith principle is expressed similarly by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 39. Jesus says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a radical departure from the world that we're to make. Even, in some cases, with our own family. And so the principle of walking by faith is that those who will enter the kingdom of God must be dedicated to Christ alone. Our allegiance, then, is not to be divided between Christ and the world. We're not to have feet in both camps, as it were. 
Let's recognize in our, that in our salvation, indeed, our very life is in the Lord's hands. It is the Lord who is leading and guiding. For Abram, his life was in God's hands. The Lord will guide him to the land of Canaan, the land that the Lord says, I will show you. God was to lead Abram out of his familiar place and bring him to this new land, a promised inheritance. But that land is not all that's in view. This is not just about land. God adds this, verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation. Now this is the second of the I will statements. Now, think about a nation. A nation suggests something, doesn't it? When we consider nation, we generally think of a political unit which is united by land, culture, language, and government. And so this is more than just the 75 or so people who go down to Egypt during the famine in the days of Joseph. It's more than the million or two which came back from the Exodus. A nation suggests multitudes of people, millions upon millions of people. In many respects, this promise of being made into a nation is the most startling promise. It is one thing to promise land, even vast tracts of land. It is quite another thing to promise a nation. This would entail a numerous population base. Abram was to be the father of a nation. But remember, Abram was 75 years old. He had no children of his own. And we saw in chapter 11 that his wife was barren. She was unable to have children. If Abram was to be made a great nation, God was going to need to intervene supernaturally. And this is exactly what happens, isn't it? Of course, Abram never lives to see the promise of a burgeoning nation realized. Nevertheless, he trusted the Lord that his descendants would be a great nation. But even in this, there's more, isn't there? In the near sense, there is the nation of Israel, from whom will come the mediatorial priesthood, the prophets, the kingly line, uh, the revealed word of God. But the nation, which is promised here, will expand beyond just ethnic Israel. The mediator-redeemer will come from Israel, who will hold the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. In him will all the nations be invited in as the Gentiles participate with the Jews in these covenant promises. In Christ, we are called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a people set apart. Not all of Israel is descended from Israel, Romans 9, 6 says. We are offspring of Abraham by faith. And so the nation which would come from Abraham was not solely a narrow slice of ground between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. The scope is much larger than that. What is in view is a worldwide nation. A spiritual kingdom which encompasses every people and language and tribe with Christ as king. We're inviting you to think much larger than just this narrow strip of land. Because that's actually what's in view is the world. What's promised is the Abraham's promised the world. 
and his seed. What's in view here is the church. In the Old Covenant, God was beginning this great work through Israel from whom the Redeemer would come. In the New Covenant, God invites all the nations into this splendorous relationship through the church, the gathering of God's elect from every age. For now it is a spiritual kingdom, but one day it will be physically global as well in the new heavens and new earth, a people set apart to be holy. And so God will make Abram into Abraham. His name literally means the father of nations. And then says at the end of verse 2, I will bless you and make your name great. Now here again, here's the third I will statement, which God promises to bless Abram. Now, on the surface of Genesis, a blessing describes primarily two benefits, progeny and material wealth. The promise of progeny has already been seen as it pertains to the great nation. And we know that Abram was to receive great earthly reward in terms of material wealth, goods, livestock, money. God took care of Abram in astounding ways. So it's actually incredible. For instance, Abram begins his Canaan sojourning with great possessions from his father's house. But he will obtain more later. He goes down to Egypt. Pharaoh gives him some. Please, here, take this. Please go away. We'll look at that in future. And that increase of livestock will become a source of friction between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot later. So Abram, or Abraham, was clearly blessed with great material wealth. But there's more here to Abram's blessing than just that it was added, added to, but also that his name would be made great. Again, reminded of the contrast with the tower builders in Babel. God was going to make the name of Abram great. Abram. Abraham will be the father of faith. He will be the father of a kingdom of priests and followers of God. It will be through Abraham and the promised Messiah would come who will in himself bring blessings to the world. So the greatness of Abraham is tied to the seed who will come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Abraham's greatness then is great because of the greatness of God who bestows it. The purpose of that blessing is seen in the next clause, so that you will be a blessing. Again, it is the seed of Abraham which is in view here, the promised seed who would crush the serpent's head. So the blessings given to Abraham were to be carried to all the nations. Future generations will benefit from God's dealing with Abraham. And this is the case in Christ, isn't it? The nations will rejoice and be glad Maybe not at that time, but in the future in Christ. Paul says in Romans 4 that Abraham is the father not only of the circumcised, that is the Jewish nation, but of all who walk in the footsteps of his faith prior to even his receiving the covenant sign of circumcision. Listen. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
Abraham is the father of the nations because he's the father of faith. He's the father of those who trust in the Lord, who rest in the Son of God in His righteousness by faith. In that sense, Abraham is the father of the faithful. Therefore, we have a faith like Abraham. Abraham had to take God at His word, trusting His promises, obeying His commands. And you and I also must take God at His word, trusting His promises in Christ, obeying all that has been commanded. And that faith, which is ours, is a free gift from God. This was true for Abraham. And this is true for you and for me as well. The faith of Abraham is the faith of the Christian. And in this sense, Abraham has to be the bear, was to be the bearer of blessings. In fact, verse 3 clarifies the extent of that blessing with the fourth and also the fifth I will statements. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, Abraham was to be an instrument of blessing, but it is God who is bringing the blessing. This is made clear by these five I will statements, isn't it? I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who dishonor you. These last two I will statements the promise of blessing and cursing, these are God's provision of protection. God intends to bless and protect from harm Abraham and by extension, God's people. And so in establishing God, Abraham in the land, he was, he was greatly blessed such that there were some from the surrounding nations who saw this blessing who desired to participate in that. This is an attraction to the world. There is an attraction to the world and the church's fruitfulness and fulfilled life, a life of joy and peace. The unbeliever watches you and sees that. This is why we can expect to be asked to give an account of the hope that's in us, as Peter speaks of. And there is blessing. There's blessing to those who blessed Abraham. But to those who held him in derision, they were cursed. The word curse in verse 3 carries the idea of to see as small or insignificant, to ridicule. Those who dare to bring dishonor to Abraham will receive the greater weight of God. This plays out in the history of Israel, doesn't it? God protected His people from the abuse of the nations going before them. Consider the days of Gideon and Judges when Israel went to battle with the Midianites and how many did they have? They had 300 men against thousands. And they were victorious. Why? Because God won the victory. It was not David who was defeated and beheaded when the nation was going against the Philistines. It was the Philistine champion Goliath who was beheaded and killed. Because God won the victory. God provides protection for His covenant people. This continues in the New Covenant, doesn't it? Does not God provide protection for His covenant people? 
What is it that would bring a curse upon us? How about your own sin? Is not your own sin bringing a curse upon you? Yet God protects you from it, doesn't He? Christ came into the world, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us, to take the curse from us. Christ defeated sin and death at Calvary. His sacrifice on the cross fully paid for our redemption, and by faith we are justified in Him. In addition, He is making intercession for us, revealing Himself by His Word, persuading us by His Holy Spirit, overcoming all His and our enemies by His almighty power and His wisdom. God provides a provision of protection for you, doesn't He? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What protection we have in Christ. God protected Abraham by faith, Indeed, He provides and protects for all the household of faith. This is the true scope in view. This is the true scope of the nation. For the blessing of Abraham would extend to all the families of the earth, your families, my family. Which is to say that the Christian is truly blessed. The Christian is truly blessed blessed but there are a lot of Christians who don't seem to fully understand what this actually means what it means to be blessed consider in our day and age when people say that they are blessed and particularly we we might find this among Christians what they typically mean is something that maybe is akin to luck I'm very lucky I've been given a lot of things I've had good fortune. Perhaps this kind of understanding is mostly found within certain subsets of Christians. Nevertheless, this is not what the Bible means by blessing. When the Bible speaks of blessing, it speaks of being filled with some measure of God's abundant fullness, provision, His goodness. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. All blessedness in in and of himself. This is how the scriptures, by the way, speak of God. In blessing his people, God is providing something of himself, his fullness, that is, spiritual provision, peace, rest, security, eternal life. Think about our our study from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of God's blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is then, as Calvin puts it, the fountain of all good. Our future hope, our future rest are bound up in and flowing from God. For ultimately, the blessing of God is our internal, eternal inheritance of Him. And so when it says that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, when we speak of the Christian being blessed, this is what, this is what it means. You and I have God as our own. We belong to Him. We are in this... And He gives us wonderful 
provisions which flow from Him. Because all goodness springs forth from God. And the fact that it is for all the peoples and nations of the earth, then, since this blessing is for all people, this ought to preclude any kind of racism or racial discrimination, right? This is for all the nations, all the families of the earth, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. They're included in this promise. All the people of the earth, which is to say that the kingdom of God, the kingdom which God is building, is truly global. And Abraham certainly was material blessed, but more to the point, through the nation that which would come through Abraham would come the promised king who would rule and overrule all of the nations and bring an abundant blessing of wholeness, goodness, rest, peace. This is what's in view here. This is what's exciting about this. these I will statements, these promises from God. The blessings which flow to all the families of the earth then are mediated through the grace of Christ because it is Christ which we are adopted as His sons. We are given new life in Christ. We are made heirs of, of Him in Christ. We have our inheritance in Christ. Salvation from sin, which comes as a free gift by faith, is promised in this covenant made with Abraham. But that covenant, that promise, is brought to full fruition in Christ. These blessings through which were to come were to flow then through Abraham. Abraham was to have a special relationship with God he was, and he was called to go, but all, all these blessings would flow through him in Christ. So Abram was to go, and God promised these blessings. And so Abraham does go. He received the call. He received the promises attached to it, a kingdom, a nation, a people, will worship and glorify the Lord, an abundance of blessing ever-flowing And Abram responds with obedience. As he was instructed, he went. And he responds with worship. And so at 75 years old, he goes. He left Haran and his kindred. He took with him Lot and Sarai and all their possessions which they had acquired at Haran. And they made the journey to the land of Canaan. And as they came to Canaan, Abram passed through the land of Shechem to the oak of Morah. And at Shechem he came to the great tree, which is what it literally is in Hebrew, the great tree. It's translated in, in at least in the English Standard Version, it's, it's translated as oak because this is most likely what it was. Most likely it was an oak tree. Nevertheless, it was a very large tree, a great tree at this place called Morah. Morah means, by the way, teacher. And the reader again is reminded of this little fact, and the Canaanites were in the land. So it's here at this tree, again, the Lord appears to Abram, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now there are two comforting aspects. Remember, Abram is now, he, he, he was told all these promises, and then he was to go. 
Now we have just very short passages, but this is probably a, a period of time of traveling. And he finally gets there, and God said, This is the land, and I will give it to your offspring, this land. Now this is, this is actually for Abraham's comfort. And there are two comforting aspects to the promise, which stand in contrast to two huge roadblocks. The first roadblock, of course, is the, seren- the barrenness of Sarah. Remember, she's unable to have children. And the second one is what was mentioned just the previous verse. And the Canaanites were in the land. These are two roadblocks. And yet God offers this comfort. Abram is reassured that the promised land would indeed be inherited by his offspring. But in order for offspring to inherit the land, he was going to need offspring. Abraham lived by faith, but sometimes the believer needs to be reassured of the truths we hold. Isn't this true for us too? Don't we sometimes need to be reassured of these things? I believe this is true. Lord, I have faith, so please help me with my faith, my lack of faith. God does this in our word. He constantly reminds us of the hope that we have. Isn't this the message we hear each Lord's Day? Aren't we reminded of this every single Lord's Day? So how does Abram respond to this promise and reassurance? Look at the end of verse 7. It says, So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram's response to the Lord's goodness to him was worship. He built an altar to the Lord. Is worship not the proper response of God's meeting or God's people meeting with God? Let me ask you, dear congregation, have you seen the Lord today? Have you met with your God today? I don't mean physically, have you seen God? Have you been in God's presence today? Are we not hearing from God in His Word? Do we not experience Him, His promises? Can you not taste and see that the Lord is good? When you and I come into worship, we are visiting the Lord in in the holy place. Should this not encourage us to continue in it? You get to meet with your Savior today. You get to see the Lord, as it were. Not with your eyes, but with your ears. Shouldn't we want to continue this? Shouldn't we hunger for this? Shouldn't there be a sense in which tomorrow you think, man, I just can't wait till Sunday comes again. Can't wait to be with God's people and worship. Since worship is... Coming into the presence of God, I want to encourage you to make a diligent use of the means of grace. God has rescued you in Christ. Thus, every ounce of your being should be hungry to be in God's presence in worship. Strive. Every Lord's Day, strive to be in God's presence, to be in worship as you're enabled. Now we know that there may be things that happen that prevent you from attending worship. But if you're traveling, then you need to find a faithful Christian church to make your house for that day. If God visits in worship, then where else do you want to be? How could you forsake the gathering together of the saints? 
the bottom line is the worship of God's people is vital, and so I would encourage you to continue in it, to meet with God in worship. Abraham's response to God's presence should be ours too. Not that we build, but that we worship. And so from Shechem and the oak of Morah, Abram then moves to the hill country east of Bethel. He pitched a tent between there and A, where he built another altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. So again, there's a highlighting of worship. And he called on the name of the Lord. And finally, we read that he journeyed on going to the Negev. Uh, this is an area southwest of the Dead Sea. And, and the grammar indicates that he continued to move in stages and he continued to build altars as he went. He was worshiping. Everywhere he went, he was worshiping the Lord along the way. The Negev is a dry region in the south. Abram and Isaac resided in this region for brief periods. And this sets the stage for what's going to happen next as he spends some time in Egypt. In many, in many respects, the call of Abraham is a sneak peek into what is to take place in the rest of Scripture. And the expansion of the promise from individual to nation to world. This is an essential movement in the Scriptures. The Bible records the universal scope of God's mission to save. And Abraham is the bearer of the blessings of salvation to all the families of the nations. Paul reminded the Galatians that they too were sons of Abraham. These were are, these are Gentiles. They were not Jews, and yet they were sons by faith. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Christian, beloved, is an heir of the faith of Abraham, which points us to the continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Abraham was called to live a life of faith, and we are called to live a life of faith. Our experience is not really all that different. The believer today opens the Scriptures, hears the preaching of the Word, we are moved by the Holy Spirit to believe, and thus we too experience the call of God. And you and I see God, not with our eyes, but with our ears. God does not appear to us visibly. Nevertheless, we do see Him. We experience Him. Anytime the Word is read or preached, God is present with His people. God is present when we're gathered together as the covenant community. Which is to say, the church is built around this. The reading and the preaching of the Word. The singing of the Word. The Word made sensible through the administration of the sacraments. This is is what the church is built upon, isn't it? Abraham was to leave his family, his country. He was to follow God. He was to believe in the promises of God. And we too live this way. And Jesus said in Mark 8.34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To follow Jesus requires self-denial, dying to sin, and in some cases being willing to, to give up all the comforts of life for his sake. But the reward is blessing, eternal blessedness in God, for all the goodness and fullness of, as heirs of promise. And like Abram, we're called to live in obedience to His Word, taking God at His Word, doing what He has called us to do, what He's commanded us. Worship God alone, trust in Him, and rest in Him for life. 
We've been called to walk by the Spirit. Abraham looked forward to the Redeemer who was to come. We look back to Christ. In both cases, the object of that faith is the same, isn't it? We're called to live by faith. But how do we do this? We do this by living the Christian life. We avail ourselves of the means of grace by which God blesses us. Reading of His Word, sitting under the preaching of the Word, praying, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, encouraging one another, serving one another. We read that Abraham was blessed so that through him he would be a blessing. We too are to be the blessings of Christ to the world. So I'd encourage you, pray. Pray that you and I would be effective stewards of the grace that's been given to us, the blessings in Christ which have been given to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for this call upon Abraham to go and the blessings which have flown through him in Christ. Then in fact this promise that was made is fulfilled in Christ. And we look forward to the day when the fullness of it is. Help us to live by faith, we ask. May we walk in faith. May we trust you, taking you at your word. And may we be effective stewards of the blessings which have been poured out so abundantly in our lives that we would share the hope of eternal life with all the nations around us. That many would be called out of darkness into your light, into your kingdom. Oh, thank you for the grace that you have given to us here. And may we ever hunger to be in your presence. Not only on the Lord's Day, but every day. We thank you. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.